Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. Our mission is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word through the most effective media available, like this podcast. To support Pathway to Victory, go to ptv.org podcast and click the donate button or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Hi, this is Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to study God's Word with you every day on this Bible teaching program. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory, Christ-likeness. It's a daunting challenge, but just think about it. Every interaction we have, every temptation we face, every decision we make is an opportunity for us to reflect Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and our effort, we have the ability to become like Jesus Christ. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. He turned the other cheek when people wronged him and humbled himself to serve others. How could anyone else really ever be like him? Well, today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress argues that becoming like Christ is a worthwhile and, yes, attainable goal. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. One of our most popular resources is Pathway Magazine. If you're not receiving this periodical, I want to introduce you to what you're missing. I deliberately designed this publication to become a companion of sorts as you go about your day. It's filled with uplifting articles and features that will give you biblical nutrition for your spiritual journey. Now, to get you started, I'm going to send your first copy at our expense. There's no cost when you follow the simple instructions at ptv.org. Today is Wednesday, February 28th, and we're fast approaching the end of my teaching series called What Every Christian Should Know. This time-sensitive offer to receive my book is going to expire in just a few days. So please, while there's still time, reach out and request your copy of What Every Christian Should Know. In today's shifting world, we're bombarded every day with bold assertions, such as what our children read in public schools, or what we're allowed to say or not say on social media. Well, I contend that Christians can boil things down to ten core beliefs that matter most. A copy of What Every Christian Should Know will be sent to your home with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Be ready to jot down our contact information at the end of today's program. Right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I titled today's message, What Every Christian Should Know About Christ-Likeness. Is there any more daunting word in the Christian vocabulary than Christ-likeness? We are to become like Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about it. What father do you know would say to their young son as he goes out for his first peewee basketball game, the son, when you're out on that court, I want to see some Michael Jordan likeness in you. (laughs) Or imagine a a tennis instructor handing a racket to a first-time tennis player and saying to the girl, now, when you're out there, let others see Serena Williams in you. And yet, we tell people they are to become like Jesus Christ. 
Today, we're going to see such a goal is not only desirable, it's possible. Today, as we continue looking at the 10 historic beliefs of Christianity, we've come to that ninth pillar of truth, what every Christian should know about Christ-likeness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. There is a word for Christ-likeness in theology. It's called sanctification. And on your outline, I've given you a definition of sanctification. It's the process by which God molds our actions, attitudes, and affections to resemble Jesus Christ. It's the process that God molds our actions, attitudes, and affections to resemble Jesus Christ. You know, so many Christians want to know, what is God's will for my life? I hear that all the time. How can I know God's will for my life? There's no better passage of Scripture that tells you God's will for your life than this one, Romans 8, 28, and 29. And by the way, you can't separate the two verses. The two verses are inseparable. Uh, Romans 8 begins with a promise, verse 28. And here's the promise. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This is probably the most loved but most misunderstood promise in all of the Bible. People really don't understand what this is promising and what it's not promising. This promise, for example, is not claiming that all things are good. Well, then what is this promise? There is a promise of a purpose that's found in verse 29. All things are working together for good. What is the good all things are working together for? Look at verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brethren. This promise is a promise that first of all, God has a purpose for your life. God is working all things together for good and that good is God's purpose. You can't separate the good from the purpose. And what is that purpose that all things are working together for? Let me give you a hint. It's not a full bank account. It's not a satisfying marriage. It is not a healthy life. It is not a successful career. There is one thing God is working all things together for, and that is to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for your life, and you'll never understand your life until you understand that purpose. Secondly, God's purpose includes all things. God causes all things to work together. Now, it's easy to see how God uses good things to produce good things, but what about those unwanted divorces? What about an undeserved termination? What about an unexpected illness? God can use bad things, terrible things, to accomplish that purpose as well. In fact, it's usually those hard things, those difficult things that do the most into shaping you into the image of Jesus Christ. God uses all things for his purpose. Have you discovered it's during those difficult times that you learn the most important lessons in life? It's not in the easy times. It's in those difficult times. God uses all things. And thirdly, God is in control of all that happens to you. Now, the King James Version does not capture what this verse is really saying. There's a little difference. The King James says, all things work together for good to those who love God. 
And it's almost like saying, well, somehow, magically, everything combines together to work out for good. No, the New American Standard captures it best. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is in control. And that means there is absolutely nothing that comes into your life that is not a part of God's plan. Everything is according to God's plan. Now, I know that raises a lot of questions about our free will and God's sovereignty. And please understand, I'm not saying that God creates evil in your life. God is the author of evil in your life. But what I am saying is, nothing comes into your life without God's permission. And God uses everything that comes, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to mold you into the image of his son. And that ought to be a comforting thought to you and me. That's the promise. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, we've seen the purpose of sanctification to mold us into the image of Christ. Let's talk about the process of sanctification. How does God make us like Christ? You know, somebody has said, justification is the work of the moment, but sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Justification, remember, is what happens when we trust in Christ as our Savior. The moment we put our faith in Christ, God declares us not guilty, not guilty. We are never more justified than we are at the moment of our salvation. Fifty years later, we are as justified as we've ever been. Justification is instantaneous. But sanctification, the process by which we become like Christ, starts the moment of our salvation, and it continues until the day of our death. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So how does this process work? Exactly who's responsible for making me like Christ? Well, first of all, we have a responsibility. You know, these Christians who go around and say, well, I couldn't save myself. I can't sanctify myself. I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm not going to exert any effort whatsoever. It's up to God. It's his responsibility. No. Galatians 5, 16 says, but I say to you, you walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Or Ephesians 4, 22, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Or Colossians 3, 8, we'll look at in a moment. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, and so forth. We have a responsibility in our sanctification. But God has a responsibility as well. Those who try to do this in their own strength will be unsuccessful. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So is it my responsibility or God's responsibility? It is a joint responsibility, our sanctification. God alone can save us, but we and God together cooperate to make us more like Christ. We don't have time to look at it, but in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5, you see a great illustration of that. Peter says that by God's divine power, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness and made us partakers of the divine nature. And then in verse 5, he says, and for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, you supply moral excellence, you supply knowledge, and so forth and so forth. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life, to become like Jesus, but you have to supply some of the effort. You supply diligence, moral purity, and so forth. 
You know, you see that so well illustrated in Romans chapter 6. Paul has talked about how the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is working in our life, and we are no more a prisoner of sin than we choose to be. Sin has no more power over us than we choose to allow it to have. And that's why he says in Romans 6, 12 and 13, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. God has given you the power. You've got to supply the effort. You know what he's saying when he says, quit presenting the parts of your body for sin? Let's get real practical. He's saying, Stop filling your eyes with pornographic images from the internet, from television, from movies, and start filling your eyes with the truth of God's Word. Stop using your tongue to tear down and criticize other people. Use your tongue to build up and edify others. Stop allowing your feet to take you to places you shouldn't be, and instead allow your feet to take you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop allowing your mind to be filled with anger and bitterness and worry and fill your mind with the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. You've got all the power you need, but you must take action. Quit using your body as instruments for sin. Use them as instruments of service to God. Yes, we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, but that's not enough to clean up our life. We have to exert effort as well. It is God and us together. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. That's what sanctification is. Well, we've talked about the purpose of sanctification, to make us like Christ. We've talked about the process. It's God and us together. What is the product of sanctification? How do you know if you're really becoming like Jesus Christ? Turn to Colossians 3 for just a moment. Paul says in verse 1, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. You know, a lot of people read that verse and they think Paul's talking about, think about heaven, be heavenly minded. We've talked a lot about heaven. There's some upside to thinking about heaven, to preparing for heaven. But when Paul says, set your mind on things above, he's not talking about the things in heaven, the objects in heaven. He's talking about the Christ who is in heaven. That's what he said. Think about the things above where Christ is. And he's talking about specifically, set your mind on the kind of life Jesus lived, the qualities that were his, so that they can, you can make them yours. You say, where do you get that in this passage? It's the whole rest of the chapter. He keeps talking about taking off old behavior and putting on new behavior. The image there is when Christ died and was buried in that tomb, remember they wrapped him in cloths and they put a face covering on him, yet when the apostles went in on Sunday morning, they saw that he was gone, but those old grave clothes had been left behind, John 20 says. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, remember he had been wrapped in cloth and Uh, spices to prevent the decay of the body. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus stumbled out of that tomb and came out there, but he still had those wrappings on him. And what did Jesus say? Unbind him, loose him, 
and let him go. In other words, he doesn't need those old great flows anymore. They stink. They're terrible. Let them go. Take them off and put on some new clothes. Well, Paul is using that image in Colossians 3. He says there's certain behavior we need to lay aside. He says in verse 5, lay aside immorality, impurity, passion. Put them all aside, verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander. Don't lie to one another. Put on the new self, verse 10. And then in verse 12, he tells us some spiritual clothing we ought to put on if we want to look like Jesus Christ. And he mentions six of these characteristics we are to put on. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's kind of like a dipstick you put into the crankcase in your automobile. You can't see all the oil in there, but you put in the dipstick and pull it out to get an idea of what's in there, if it's in good shape or not. It's the same way with our lives. Here are six characteristics of those who are becoming like Jesus Christ. He said, first of all, put on a heart of compassion. A Christ-like person is compassionate. Secondly, he mentions kindness. Kindness. In spiritual terms, to be a kind person means that sometimes you give people what they need rather than what they deserve. You deal on the basis of grace instead of the law. Isn't that how Jesus dealt with us? Titus 3 verses 4 and 5 says, but when the kindness, there's that word, the kindness of God our Father and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Aren't you glad God dealt with you on the basis of grace and not the law? The law says we all deserve eternal death, but he offered us his kindness, his grace instead. You know, in a practical way, we'll do that with other people. Not give them what they deserve, but what they need. Maybe you're a parent and you're trying to teach your teenage child to be responsible with their money and they're working hard, they try to manage their money, but they run into a, an expense on their automobile and they don't have the money. And the law would say, no, you've got to manage your money on your own. You're responsible for that. But you have it in your ability to help your child. The kind thing to do is help when you have the ability to help. That's dealing with people according to what they need and not what they deserve. Thirdly, he says, put on humility. Jesus was a model of humility. Philippians 2 says he didn't hold on to his rights as God, but he let go of them. He came to earth to be our Savior. You know, a real good definition for humility is the realization that any good thing in our life is the result of what God or others have done for us. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He said, you proud Corinthians, ask yourself a question. What is it that you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Did you know everything that is good in your life or my life is a result of what somebody else has done for us? That someone else may be God, but there is nothing in our life that's good that hasn't been given to us. Oh, well, I'm responsible for you know, my good job. Look, you wouldn't have that job, you wouldn't have that money if God didn't give you the breath of life. If he didn't take care of you while you slept at night and gave you the ability to wake up in the morning and do what you're supposed to do, every good thing comes from God. 
That's what humility is, the realization that it's a gift. Fourth, he said, put on gentleness. Now, that word gentleness is sometimes translated meekness. Maybe your translation has meekness, and we hate the word meekness, don't we? But this word, translated gentleness, actually means power under control. Power under control. Every time I read this word, this isn't very spiritual, but I think of the movie King Kong. Remember King Kong, the giant ape? And there's that great scene when he finally is united with the love of his life, that little blonde girl, and he puts her in the palm of his hand, and it's Fay Ray in the old version, Naomi Watts in the newer version, and King Kong takes his giant ape finger and strokes her hair very gently with it. Now, that's power under control. Now, if King Kong doesn't speak to you, here's another example. (laughs) From the Bible. It's not King Kong, it's Jesus. Jesus on the cross in Luke 22, being tortured, being humiliated. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could only have called one angel and obliterated his enemies once and for all. But he kept that power he had under control. And instead, in Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That is gentleness, power under control. Then he speaks of patience, macrothumeo. It literally means to be long-tempered, long-tempered. Galatians 3, 13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, just as God forgave you, so you should also forgive. And then finally, in verse 14, he mentions the overarching quality that marked the life of Jesus, love. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's the fountain out of which everything else flows. Love, agape love, self-sacrificing love that cares more about giving than receiving. Christ-likeness, it's a daunting challenge, but just think about it. Every interaction we have, every temptation we face, every decision we make is an opportunity for us to reflect Jesus Christ. One of my favorite writers of all time is the late Dallas Willard. He said, the most important thing about us is not what we do, but it's what we become, because that is what we will carry with us into eternity. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and our effort, we have the ability to become like Jesus Christ. That's what every Christian should know about Christ's likeness. Becoming more like Christ begins at salvation, but it certainly doesn't stop there. In fact, every single day presents another opportunity to become more like Jesus. To accelerate your journey, I'd be pleased to send you a book I've written for you. It's the one I wrote to coincide with this teaching series. The full title is What Every Christian Should Know, Ten Core Beliefs for Standing Strong in a Shifting World. In this best-selling book, I'm going to help you gain a working knowledge of ten core beliefs that set our Christian faith apart from any other religion in the world. A hardbound copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Before I turn things over to David, I'd like to send a shout-out to our growing family of monthly supporters we call our Pathway Partners. Your consistent month-by-month giving is truly making a difference. For instance, I heard from Barbara, who listens to our program in Maryland. She wrote, 
Pathway to Victory is like a breath of fresh air. I plan my day so I never miss a message. And then she adds, Although my donation is truly a sacrifice for me, I don't mind giving because I want to do whatever possible to help you deliver these messages to a world that badly needs to hear them. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for your encouragement. And friends, now it's your turn. Would you join Barbara in supporting Pathway to Victory? Go online to ptv.org or give us a call and let us know that you'd like to become a Pathway Partner today. Your monthly giving enables us to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by becoming a Pathway Partner or by giving a generous one-time gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress called What Every Christian Should Know. Give us a call, 866-999-2965, or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the What Every Christian Should Know teaching series. Plus, we'll include a study guide perfect for a Sunday school class or a small group Bible study. But this offer actually ends on Friday, so don't put off calling any longer. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could write to us, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday when Dr. Jeffress takes on the subject of what every Christian should know about the end times. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Imagine waking up to the sight of Alaska's majestic coastline or spotting wildlife from the deck of a luxurious cruise ship. Experience these unforgettable moments on the Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Relax with us in Alaska and I guarantee you'll come home spiritually and physically refreshed. To book your spot on the 2024 Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska, go to ptv.org. You made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory, and we're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. One of the most impactful ways you can give is by becoming a Pathway Partner. Your monthly gift will empower Pathway to Victory to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and help others become rooted more firmly in His Word. To become a Pathway Partner, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.